I was telling my family in the car driving here today, I hope I can make sense of everything I want to tell you about from this crazy chapter in 2 Samuel. And I probably won't, and that's okay, because by golly, you can go get a study Bible and dig a bunch of stuff out yourself, and it's totally awesome. There, there is, um, it's just really worth reading the Bible in slow motion and taking your time with it, because there's just some really cool some really cool stuff. So, a couple disclaimers. Um, if you're keeping track of all the people, this is the chapter to pay attention because there's going to be a whole bunch of people named and it's really easy to just and read through all those names. But man, it gets richer and you get like some Tony's Cajun seasoning and you get some some uh, sautéed onions flavoring when you start keeping track of these names. This, the, the scripture has a whole lot more flavor. Oh my gosh. I, I went there and now I'm like, we have to eat cheeseburgers for lunch now. Okay. The other disclaimer is that there's going to be a whole lot of really awful use of women in this chapter. And the thing to know the context is that women were, were property. And not only were they property, but they represented a dynasty. They represented a dominion. And so you know how like in a thing that's a lot like it modern day when the president signs a special bill and they'll show a picture of the president and he'll be signing a thing, and they'll have all these people around. And all these people are nobodies, right? Like who, you don't recognize who all these people are. And uh, there's a bill for veterans that they signed, that, that Biden signed last year, and there's like this little girl there. And she's standing there next to him, and he signs it, and he hands her the pen. And she's like, yeah. It's like, who is that? Like, what? Okay, so whenever they do that, all of those people represent the people most affected by that law, by the law that the president is signing. So when the, the president signed this, this law for veterans that were poisoned by burning garbage, the little girl was the daughter of a guy that had this terrible cancer from inhaling smoke. And so the whole law was named after him and his daughter, as a symbol of this is who this law is helping, got to be there. Does that make sense? So they have all these people there to show here are the people that are being affected by this law. And they represent, you know, thousands here and thousands there and thousands here. So in this stage of history, a king would have a daughter. And this other king would have a son. And in order to show a truce between this king and that king, this daughter would go marry that son. And so now, whatever happens in that kingdom, this king cares about a whole bunch, right? Because his daughter's over there. But there's also that hope and that, that chance that if that king's son that married the daughter has a baby that that baby would be the heir 
to this throne and that throne. And so that baby may someday rule all of these places. And so if I'm this king, I'm not going to declare war on them because my grandbaby might someday rule over them. If I can't conquer them by war, maybe someday I'll conquer them by grandkids. Right? So that, that's a thing. Now that lady... <laughs> didn't have any say in that she is not a political scientist she is not going to fight for war she just got married off into this other land which brings us to the other thing it's kind of like pride and prejudice women couldn't work they couldn't hold property they couldn't have a place in in court they were desperate their job was to have babies and to take care of those babies and so if a woman had a chance to get married to a guy that, let's say, might be a king, she just hit the jackpot, right? Because now everything is going to get paid for. She's going to be taken care of forever. So even if the, man, if the father of the lady wasn't a king making a treaty, it's like his daughter just got the best job in the world, which is to be a wife to the king and she is taken care of. He doesn't have to worry about her ever again. Everywhere she goes, she's going to have everything she wants. She's going to have all the food. She's going to have guards. Right? So that's the other aspect of that. So, 2 Samuel chapter 3. There's a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And sons were born to David at Hebron. So David lives in Hebron. It's way in the south. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. Jezreel is a section near Hebron. So he's got a daughter, he's got a wife, and they've got a kid. And of that region where, he, where Hebron is. His second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Okay, hold on a second. Here's the other thing that's going to happen. We're going to find out David has a lot of wives. Oh my goodness. Okay? So remember, Nabal was that worthless man that David and his mighty men protected all of his sheep and protected his land, and they wanted a little food to celebrate, and they said, hey, Nabal... Our men protect your sheep from the Philistines. We take care of you all the time. And Nabal's like, ah, there's people all over the place wanting my money. You're not getting none of it. And David was like, we're going to kill them all. And Abigail said, whoa, 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 here, here's raisins. Here's a bunch of rice. Here's a bunch of sheep. You guys don't kill my husband. He's an idiot. He is probably drunk. Don't kill him. And they're like, you just saved the day, Abigail. And then Nabal fell over, had a heart attack, and died. Within the week, David heard about it. Who's Abigail? Can't hold property. Can't work the land. Can't defend herself. So David goes and marries her and takes over that land and is also protection for her, right? Abigail. He had his child, Chiliab. The third, Absalom. I hope some alarms go off here. 
Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. All right. So Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. This is the Geshurites. The king of the Geshurites gives his daughter and they have a baby named Absalom. And he is going to come up. If you're not writing down any other names, remember Absalom because that guy, he's going to be a troublemaker. Not just because he's a son of a Geshurite. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatai, the son of Abital. The sixth, what in the world? The sixth, Ethrim of Eglah, David's wife. She gets mentioned as his wife. These, these are all his wives, right? These were all born to David in Hebron. So, Remember the, the status of women. It's one thing to have these women as his wife, but it doesn't really seal the deal of land capture unless they have an heir. Because now any one of these kids that David has had could become the heir to the throne of which he is king. But remember, he's only king of Hebron. Oh, but where are the Geshers from? The son of Geshur, the Geshurites. The Geshurites are right in the land, not of Benjamin, but of the other side. And so now all of a sudden, there's this one group that's like, well, you know, my grandson serves under king, is, is the child of David, who's the king of Hebron, who's not from the house of Saul. So now you've got a little cross boundary. Uh-oh. We'll see if that we'll see if that comes up to anything. It will. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Remember Abner? He's the one the three sons of Zeruiah were chasing after him. He said, "Dude, as Azel, turn back." Chase somebody else. Don't fight me. How will I ever be able to look Joab in the face if I kill you? Which could be trash talk or it could be sincere. It turns out to be sincere. He kills Azale. So now Joab hates Abner. Abner is the head of Saul's army. Abner. Making himself strong in the house of Saul. The other thing about Abner is he has shame on him because he let Saul die. So, as the leader of the army, he should not show his face because he failed in letting Saul die. We don't get a lot of details about that, but he's also trying to kind of redeem himself and kind of make a name for himself. He is leading the army of Saul, which is fighting with the army of David, okay? So, they're, they're, they're slowly losing ground. The army of David, the house of David, is slowly gaining ground over all of Israel. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of A. And Ishbosheth, who is now the heir to the throne and the king of the northern part of Israel, he's the son of Saul, Ishbosheth. Uh, in some translations it says Ishbel, it's the same guy. Ishbosheth says to Abner, Why have you taken my father's concubine? Oh dear. So, son of Saul, rising to become king, says to the leader of the army, 
Why have you taken my father's concubine as your own? So, remember women are property. Women represent property. It could be that Abner has taken the father's concubine because if he can have children with her, are they children of the king or are they children of Abner? We don't know. But now they are in line to become king. So Abner is now messing with the bloodlines of hierarchies in Israel, of the king of Israel. He's also leading the army. So he definitely has a stake here. And Ishbosheth, who is the reigning king, says, Hey, what's going on over here? What are you doing? Abner does not like that. He does not like that accusation. He doesn't like anything that Ishbosheth is presuming or suggesting. And you know how sometimes an accusation is a confession? Abner gets infuriated, like way off the charts. Definitely something was going on there that Abner was doing because he gets so, so mad. He's very angry over the words of Ishbosheth. He said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends. And have you not, I have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you accuse me today of a fault over some woman. Like, if this was in a movie, you know this would be, you've seen scenes like this, right? <laughs> Yelling, shouting. Rah! Then he brings this oath. May God do so to Abner himself, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. He has just shifted his allegiance. He is in the presence of Ishbosheth, king of Israel, and he says, May God do to me whatever if I do not hand David the kingdom that belongs to him. Now, if I was Ishbosheth, I think I would wet my pants. Because you, you're dead, right? It, oh, the head of the army just swore an oath. May God curse him if he does not turn your entire army over to your enemy. One super cool thing. Am I the head of a dog? <laughs> this can be interpreted in a couple different ways. And... Um, Historians argue it, and it's really cool how it plays out. So, am I the head of a dog? Am I in charge of a bunch of dogs? He's like saying, is my army, is your army just a bunch of stinking dogs? What am I doing? Like you can see the, the level of anger in that. Are you rejecting your whole, we've all been protecting you. We've been fighting for like seven years, or at least two years. And you would, you would accuse me of taking this lady? Like, I'm providing for her. I'm caring for her. Could be read that way. Another crazy interpretation. Remember how Caleb means faithful like a dog? There's another way that this could be interpreted where he says, am I leading the tribe of Caleb? Why would you accuse me? Am I a leader of the tribe of Caleb? Where's the tribe of Caleb? <gasps> Hebron. 
Are you telling me, do you think I'm leading David's army? Are you accusing me of being a traitor, of taking the throne from you? It's almost a derogatory term, like they're calling the bad guys a bunch of Caleb's, a bunch of dogs. Am I a dog? Am I on that side? How dare you? I, I, if you think I'm a Calebite, I will show you how much of a Calebite I am. I'm going to turn the whole army into Calebites. So he gets really, really mad. It's really awesome because the Lord's hand is not mentioned anywhere in this chapter. A lot of this stuff is all happening to make David king, but the Lord is just letting men be men. Just letting people work out their sin, work out their integrity, work out their greed, work out their anger, and God is still going to accomplish His purpose. Remember, we're reading all this because Jesus is a son of David, and we want to know what David is like. And so far in here, David is kind of a slime ball. And I don't want to justify it. I don't want to make it okay. But I want you to see in the people that were writing this, when they wrote all this stuff about David, they weren't writing a judgment against him. They were writing, look at how much he expanded Israel. Look at how by having unions with all of these women and having children, he had so many heirs that he was building the country. He was building the nation. So not the best way, not the holiest way, certainly not a way that it doesn't say anywhere in here that God is blessing that and God likes it. But if you read it through the lens of this is how they built kingdoms, he is doing it. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, but don't hear that the wrong way because this is messed up. But <laughs> anyway. All right, so Abner transferred the kingdom from the house of Saul, set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. This is how mad Abner is. May God curse me if I don't give everything over to David from McAllister's on the east side to McAllister's on the west side. The whole thing. Every bit. Verse 11. Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he was scared. <laughs> That's another one of those great uh, understatements of the Bible. <laughs> Ishbosheth just watched his number one commander of the army curse him and say, I'm going to the other side. So Abner sends messengers to David on his behalf. Sends messengers in to David in Hebron. To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hands will be with you, and I'll bring all of Israel over to you. Whoa, all of Israel. David says, good, I'll make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you. This is David's message back to Abner. You will not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Oh, man. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. 
All right, so you got your little card with Michael on it. M-I-C-H-A-L, it's a girl's name. Even today, it's a really popular girl's name in Israel. She was the daughter of Saul. And Saul knew that David was putting eyes on her when David was in Saul's court before Saul was going a little bit crazy at this point. But David was, I think he had only tried to kill David once with a spear. <laughs> and so Saul hears that David has eyes for Michael. He says, I'm going to offer my daughter Michael up for marriage and I will accept nothing less than a hundred foreskins of the Philistines as the bride price, which is pretty sick. And you're highly likely to get killed while you go get that, right? Because Saul wants David killed. David says, I want to marry Michael. Easy. Goes out, fights some Philistines, comes back with 200. Presents them to Saul the king. Here you go. I want to marry your daughter. Okay, this is a big problem. Because remember, daughters, women represent property. If David marries Michael, now David has a direct access to the throne to be an heir. Because while David isn't royalty, any kid that he has with Michael will be an heir to the throne. So Saul does it because he's going to keep his word and he doesn't want to bring shame on himself. So he, gets, he gives Michael. It's the only one of David's wives that it ever says that she loved him. Isn't that sad? Michael really did care for David when... Um, a little bit later, when Saul has had enough of David, and he's like, go in and kill him. He's in bed. My daughter's right next to him. Don't hurt her. Kill him. They all storm into David's room. There's Michael. She's like, ah! She gets out of the bed. They all stab the bed. And it's some household idols that she hid and let David escape. And there's a dummy in the bed next to her. And so then Saul is mad at Michael, his daughter, because she helped out with this. She's like, he made me do it. I didn't have any choice. So she doesn't get killed. David flees. They marry off Michael to this other dude. Hey, dude, you did he pay a bride price? No. Did he bring 200 Philistine foreskins? No. Was he anything in Saul's court? No, which is important because now he is definitely not going to have an heir to the throne. He's just some schmuck. So Michael goes and marries him. So David says, you want to make peace with me, you got to bring me Michael. That is a big deal. Because if Abner shows up with Michael, now David has claim to the throne of Saul. It's like, it's like carrying the deed. It's like, don't show up. Don't show up at the house closing unless you're bringing the deed. It's that kind of thing. Don't show up and tell me you're going to give me all of Israel unless you bring me my wife, Michael. Now, what's really funny is how David refers to, to um, Abner. He says, the daughter, he says, bring me my wife. Hold on a second. We got to get it right because it's really awesome. First, bring Michael, Saul's daughter. He refers to her, to Abner. When you come to Ishbosheth, he says, Give me my wife, Michael, 
for whom I paid the price of 100 Philistine foreskins. To Abner, it's, you know what she is. She's my claim to the throne. You know, you know I have access. To Ishbosheth, who is the opposing king, it's, bring me my wife, who I have claimed to, and I killed 200 men. Don't think that I won't kill again. Right? So this is like threatening violence against Ishbosheth. The other thing that's great is he's threatening Ishbosheth with violence, knowing that Ishbosheth has lost his army. I mean, this is just, this is such drama, you guys. It's like, hey, uh, by the way, I have the keys to your car right here in my hand. Give me my wife. <laughs> I, I have your army in the palm of my hand, and I kill. I've killed for Michael before. I will kill for Michael again. Send her to me. The other thing that's awesome, since he asks Ishbosheth, it's an open declaration. You have to submit to me. We're gonna make we're gonna make a war out of this if we have to. Poor Michael, she's just getting jerked around like she's just totally a pawn in this game, right? Ishbosheth sent, took her from her husband Paltiel, the son of Laish. Her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharim. And finally, Abner says, "Get out of here, dude. Go back home." And then he does. So there is a little truth that there's, there's some drama. These are real people. They are being affected. Ishbosheth does not know that Abner has made this deal. As far as Ishbosheth knows, King David requested his wife, and Ishbosheth is answering. He doesn't know that this is Abner's ticket to, to David. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, for some time past, you've been seeing David as king over you. Now then, let's bring it about. There's a whole bunch of people that knew that, king, that David was anointed as king after Saul. They had songs where they sang, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands. They all know David's going to be king. So he goes to them and to say it. Come on, you guys. If you skip down 19, Abner also spoke to Benjamin. That's not a guy. That's a tribe. Abner spoke to Benjamin. Then Abner went to tell David at Hebron. Why does he go to talk to Benjamin? Because the tribe of Benjamin is the tribe that Saul came from. These are, this is the single tribe that's going to benefit most from having Saul or the line of Saul as king. And so if he can swing them, it's like those last five Republicans, right? If you can swing them, you've got the whole thing. And so he goes to Benjamin. He's like, look, I know you guys are the house of Saul. We all know David's going to be king. Let's do this. And they do it. The whole house of Benjamin thinks it's good to do. And they all lived happily ever after. Oh, keep on dreaming. Abner comes to David with 20 men. The 20 men are probably a couple soldiers, but probably a couple men of the house of Saul and the tribe of Benjamin. It's this whole delegation, just like when the president signs the paper and they got all the people. It's this whole representatives. And they all come and they have this great feast. Abner says, I will rise and I will go and I will gather all of Israel to my lord the king that they may make a covenant with you 
and that you will reign over all that your heart desires. Abner is pretty awesome, right? Abner is like, we're going to give you the kingdom. You are the king of Israel. David is really glad. He sends him away in peace. Just then, some of the scariest words in the Bible, always pay attention to those. Just then, the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid. You remember Joab. Joab, one of the three sons of Zeruiah, one of them's dead. Azael, killed by Abner. <laughs> Abner was not with David at Hebron because he sent away and he had gone in peace. It says twice, Abner went away in peace. Joab went to the king and said, What the? What have you done? Joab is mad. Abner came to you. Why have you sent him away so that he's gone? You know Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you, to know you're going out, you're coming in, to know all that you're doing. Who has Joab been fighting against for at least two years? The army of Abner. And Joab is furious. Okay, this is really fun. Get your card. Joab. Joab and David never get along, you guys. They, Joab is the head of David's army, and they never see eye to eye. They are just constantly... Joab, son of Zeruiah. Who in the heck is Zeruiah? Is a lady. David's sister. So Joab is that pesky nephew that never listens. Not really. But he is his nephew. So David is Uncle David. Joab, his nephew Joab, his brother Azael, got killed by Abner. Abner, who's Abner? Co-worker. Uh, let's see. Some kind of nephew of Saul, kind of brother-in-law. So Joab is mad. Joab is furious. David is like, David has some kind of plan that fits with Abner, who he likes, who rules all the army of Israel, fitting in with Joab, who he doesn't really like, and runs the whole army of David. Do you see where there's going to be some contention here? Somebody's going to lose their job, probably. When Joab came out of David's presence, it doesn't say anything about what David said about it. David didn't answer Joab. David didn't correct him or anything. Comes out. I'm going to skim through this next part really fast. Basically, Joab sends some guys ahead to go get Abner. But they don't go get him. They say, hey, 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 come back here. We got, we got some more talking to do. We got to talk about some things. Hebron, Martha pointed out last week, Hebron was a refuge city. If you killed my brother, I can kill you. But if you make it to Hebron, which is a refuge city full of Levites, I can't kill you as long as you're in Hebron. But if I ever catch you out of the city limits, you better watch out. Because under Levitical law, I can kill you. So Joab is the avenger of the blood for Azael. And he, according to Levitical law, can kill Abner. But not inside of Hebron. And so they send people ahead. Hey, go get Abner. Abner comes back. Does he come back to Hebron? 
Nope. He comes back to this other city where Joab meets him and kills him. He kills him the exact same way that Abner killed Azael with the spear through the stomach. Oh, this is bad. This is really, really bad. David, we already know. David, at a word, kill that guy, kill that guy, can just have people killed. He has no remorse. Uh, remember the Amalekite that came and said, Saul died, I killed him. He's like, hey, dude, hey, Scooter, you haven't killed anybody yet? Here's your first kill. Kill that guy. They kill him. David didn't have Abner killed. He knows that he killed one of his nephews. Azel didn't have him killed. And now Joab, son of Zeruiah, who David is going to be fighting with from here on out, you guys, he kills him. Skip down to verse 31. Oh, terrible. David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Who's with Joab? Probably Joab's kin and his fighting men and his army. Joab, he says to Joab and all the people that are with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. The guy that killed him is now being ordered by the king to grieve and mourn that the guy died. This is almost like an Esther, Mordecai, um, you shouldn't have done this, and you shouldn't have done this so bad, you're going to be the hood ornament on the front of the parade grieving that you did this to show that you shouldn't have done it. We're all going to mourn before Abner. This next verse, you guys, verse 31 and King David followed the buyer, or the beer, the B-I-E-R, I can't say that word. It's the funeral procession. Guess what? We just saw the first verse where he is called King David. With the death of Abner, the reclaiming of Michael, the army of Israel has no more leader. He's been called the king of Hebron. He's been called David. But with this one thing, by saying, okay, we're going to mourn the death of this guy, he becomes the king. And so it says, King David followed them. That is a really, that is a, I mean, like if this was in a movie, the music would change, the lighting would change. He would stand up taller. He would stand up straighter, like Everything has just changed. And so they have this huge funeral procession and everybody mourns and weeps. And David says, I did not order him to be killed. I didn't want him to be killed. Stupid Joab. And he calls down this whole curse on the sons of Zeruiah. Um, he says, he's going to fast all day. We got we to read the, uh, the curse is pretty awful. May they always be poor. Um, may they always have skin diseases. May none of their children ever sit on any throne being in charge of anything. Like all kinds of bad. Why is that a good thing? 
Because if you were part of this whole huge section of Israel and the leader of your army just got killed, you're going to think, oh, David did that just so he could take us over. But David is actually cursing the guy that did it because he did not want Abner dead. All right, how do we wrap a bow on this? Again, son of David. The son of David. David was looking to find a way to bring Abner in. Even though he was an enemy, even though he was serving the house of Saul, something changed in Abner, and that change made David want to bring Abner in. At the same time, he doesn't kill Joab. David could have had Joab killed right there, right? Isn't this just like the Lord? I mean, look at the Lord. He gets Matthew the tax collector. He gets Peter the fisherman. Vulgar, foul-mouthed Peter the fisherman. He gets Simon the zealot, who's just a hothead that, that wants to bring about a political revolution. And he loves those guys. And he's even doing this today. Sometimes you see people, even at a church, even in a Christian group, and you're like, how in the world are Abner and Joab going to serve on the same team? And David had in mind, I mean, it, didn't, it, it got blown out of the water by Joab. But as you read this, David had a plan to do that. He had an opening to try to help Abner and Joab work together. He didn't just flat out you know, take over everybody and, and hurt everybody. There were things that he was trying to work. And even, we'll talk about this in the future, retrieving Michael, his wife, if he's about ready to go through and wipe out all of those people and wipe out the house of Saul, what's he doing by calling Michael into his house? He's rescuing her. He's rescuing her even though She's been given to another man, probably had kids by him, and is now still calling her back to be his wife. All of that has Jesus all over it. All of that has Jesus all over it. And even though it's really crazy, and it's a really crazy story, and there's all this stuff going on, you can, I, I hope you can still see how Jesus has the character and, and how David has the character of somebody that's seeking after God when he makes the right decisions, when he makes the right, the right moves. All right. Like I said, take notes. It's, it's, this is only chapter three and it gets crazier every week, like so full of drama. It is, it is just very exciting. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for working through the character of David, through working through real-life human circumstances and the sins, the sins and the, the foolishness of mankind to bring about salvation for all that will call on your name. Lord, continue to guide us. I pray that you would help us to trust in you and, and to desire you and to watch you do things for us rather than taking things into our own hands and making messes. And we will champion you, Lord. Whatever, whatever turn things take, we, we trust you and we love you. You're so good. Amen.